going to wrap up our series this morning on Psalms. We've been having a blast. I don't know if you have. I've enjoyed it. Okay, just me. It's been fun, and uh, sadly, we have to bring it to an end today. So, um, as, as we jump into this this topic here in the Psalms, when you think about the term puppy love, what comes to mind? Titus. High school is what should come to mind, right? High school. It's, it's puppy love, meaning they are completely assured that they are in the deepest, most real love that they've ever experienced in their lives. But everyone around them says, no. You haven't even started yet. But there's nothing that you can do to convince them, correct? I mean, like, who has ever been able to, to actually to reason, to logic through to someone in high school, okay, that the love they think they're experiencing is not what they think they're experiencing. Have you, have you ever succeeded at that? Anybody? Hands. Okay. Good. Because if so, it would ruin my point, all right? So in this, there's a form of puppy love we talk about, and, you know, we call it that because we're, we're kind of mocking it. We're saying it's, it's, it's less than what is something that is more uh, ripe, more mature, more superior to it. And so we tend to compare young love to tested love. Because it's not about the age of the person. It's about the age of the love, right? It's about the age of the relationship. What really makes up this thing that they're calling love? Is it, uh, is it hormones? Uh, is it attraction? Uh, is it emotion? Or is it more than that? I had this, uh, this Bible teacher in high school, and he walked into the, the class and of course, back then, I was, you know, the same as I am today. I, I agreed with anyone who said, who, you know, who had an opinion on anything. And if someone wanted to teach me something, I always said, you know, you're absolutely right. I had no questions ever. And so he walked into the board, and he put love, and he put love equals. And he said, okay, what's it equal? And, of course, we all had these answers, and, and you know, I waited for everyone else to put out their weak answers. Then I was going to give them, you know, like the real answer, you know, because I am so intelligent. <laughs> you know, it's high school. So I had my answer. And, of course, at that time, I was involved in puppy love as well. So I had my answer for this, right? And, of course, he, you know, he, he went on to put it down, and he put it on the board, and then he put a line through it, and he said, no, love equals choice. I thought to myself, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, if that's what love is, I don't want your love, right? I mean, like, you know, if, if that's what your marriage is, that's not something I want to be a part of, right? Uh, Love is romantic, and it's, uh, you know, it's beautiful. It's, it is this amazing picture where the wind is blowing just right, and the water has the light hitting it the right angle, and there's flowers blooming, and there's like hummingbirds, correct? Okay, not your picture, right? All right. Everything is perfect in that moment, right? Um, how about this? Weddings, Okay. The idea of a wedding is this. We're going to capture puppy love and take a snapshot. We're going to create a perfect experience. The clothing will be perfect. The food is going to be perfect. The, the music, the minister won't screw anything up. Everything is going to be just right. Because nothing after that will be. Correct? I mean, I mean, I mean think about like how ridiculous a wedding is. It has nothing to do with the rest of what your life is going to be like in marriage, right? But again, you've got the idea. So this morning what I want to talk about is if there's a puppy love, is there a puppy faith? 
a faith that is not tested, a faith that's not mature, a faith that is, is young and naive, a faith that is blind. How about that? I know in the circles I grew up in, I was taught a lot that, that to have like strong faith, that to be a, a man of faith was someone who would blindly go wherever God told me. Whatever God would say, I would jump at it, I would do it. It didn't matter if it's in the Bible, I believe it, that's it. And I believe that that was mature faith. That was like the highest level of faith was to be able to turn my brain off, to be able to turn off my emotions, to be able to turn off me and just somehow become this thing that just, yes, all the time, right? Become a faith robot. It was beautiful. And so like the more I would grow in God, the more I'd learn to turn off, you know, this, this pesky human stuff, right? emotions and thoughts. And I would just learn to just kind of just to float with the Spirit of God in the clouds. And of course, the hummingbirds were there too. And like the wind blew just beautifully and the sun came in. And I was just going to be on this mountain where like the light was always shining. Well, what's interesting about that is we actually have an image of this in the Scriptures. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's this moment where we see when God in the form of Christ comes to the earth and he's in his human form, the Mount of Transfiguration is the moment where he is fully connected to God in a way he hasn't had before, where everything is perfect. There's actually a light shining on him and this hill is, becomes this sacred place and everyone around them becomes just awed and oohed. And it looks like it should be like the the epitome of what faith should be. This should be our goal, to get to this mountaintop where everything is perfect. But what's interesting is that this is not where the story ends. It's not even where the story is going. Because see, between the mountain where the sun is shining and everything is perfect and the wind is blowing just right and God is so tangible you can feel it, there's a different mountain which he goes to. Or hill, if you want to call it that. And see, between the transfiguration, the moment when, when Jesus is so connected to his Father that everything is perfect and glowing and beautiful, and then between the other beautiful moment, when Jesus says he's resurrected, yes, we have the crucifixion, yes, we have death, but we also have this other moment. We have this moment where Jesus is in a space on a hill without his disciples, without the light. He's actually alone in the darkness. And this is actually the night before his death. Because see, as dark as the cross is, the night before the cross was darker. And we see a night before the cross where Jesus is alone in the garden wrestling. And he's had this entire lifetime of, of, of learning who God is, of, of, of preparing himself, of, of being built up in his faith, of learning to, to operate according to his Father's wishes, to be connected to his Father even in spirit, and he's had all these amazing encounters and signs and wonders, all these, these you know, amazing high mountaintop experiences. But before his resurrection, there's a moment where he's alone in the garden. The, the light is gone. The, the hummingbirds are the nowhere to be found. His friends, his disciples, his students are sleeping. And the only one who's moving are his enemies who are on their way walking towards him. And there's this dark night 
where he is alone and he is in pain and he is in fear and he is in doubt and he is wrestling and toiling. And there seems to be something in the air. And what that something is, is choice. And we have these, these, these words from Jesus, which don't make a lot of sense to some of our doctrines about Jesus. But he begins to ask these questions. And he says, God, is there any way that this cup, that what is coming, that what trusting you really is going to look like, is there any way that this can be taken from me? Is there any other way for me to, to do this? Now, what we're talking about is having to reach a mature, whole, healthy, eyes wide open faith. But there are three steps to reaching this kind of faith. And here's the first one. The first step to us reaching a mature faith in God is, is wonder. Now, this word wonder, I'm going to play with you guys a little bit with this word wonder. Here's the definition of wonder. Desire or to be curious to know something. It's used to express a polite question or request. To feel doubt. To wonder about something. I wonder what's going to happen when I go outside. I, I wonder how well this building was made. I wonder if the ceiling is going to stay up. I wonder if the sun is going to rise tomorrow. It is a polite way to doubt. Okay. In the Psalms, there is a formula for doubt in most of the Psalms. Most of the Psalms are not blatantly angry at God. Here's what they do. They say, God who's been faithful from my youngest moments, God who has been kind to me and good to me, you are always faithful. And then they slip into doubt. You have tortured me and tormented me. You've broken my bones all the way to death. You have killed all of my children. You have left me as if I was a prostitute. Oh, but I love you and you are faithful. I will trust you. It's a polite way of saying what you really want to say. How about this? Have you gone to uh, your boss before? You had something really awful you had to tell them? What did you do? You sandwiches it, right? You put a compliment, right? And then a jab, and then, oh, but you're the best boss ever. Right, Joe? You ever get those? All the time? Okay. You sandwich, right, with compliments. It's a polite way of punching someone in the face, okay? Uh, as a pastor, a few people will just call me and just let me have it, but they always want to start, man, you know, you've been great to our family, you've been so over, and then they're going to come at it, right? Oh, oh, but you're such a great person of God, but we're not going to come to the church ever again, and we hate everything you're doing, but be blessed and prosper, right? You know? All right? This form of praise is in the Psalms. Now, while it, it, it's a little bit sneaky sometimes, this, this form of praising God, but the more I've studied it, I think it's, it's more of an honest form of praising God than it is more of a sneaky kind of a cheesy mask on praising God. There's a process to it. It starts out in this puppy love kind of a faith. When I was young, it always references the past. Back then, in the, you know, back in our land, our homeland, back when I was a child, to my parents, to our fathers, and it always references a previous kind of a faith. 
You were so faithful back then. And then it goes to a stage of wonder, meaning doubt. And so for us, the first step for us to go to grow into mature faith is to wonder, meaning to question, to doubt. Now, what's interesting about this form of questioning is it is polite, meaning it doesn't intend to inflict harm, but it intends to be honest. So you're trying to still stay connected at the same time that you put things out there that should distance you from the person. And so in, in wondering is when you, you place things out in the open, your questions, your doubts, your fears, and your pain, and you put it out there. Now, what's powerful about wonder is that once you begin to wonder, it leads to wandering. The moment you begin to wonder, if you allow it to continue, if you don't choke it up, if you don't, if you don't stifle it, it's going to lead you into wandering. Now, what's powerful about wandering, when you think about wandering, here's the definition of, of wandering. To move slowly from a fixed point or place. I love this definition. To move slowly away from a fixed point or place. So you once were here in your relationship with God, and to, to wander is to just to, to slowly begin to kind of to find yourself drifting away. Now this word is very close to the word um, Greek word apostate, which means to be adrift. You know, okay, you know, to someone to lose their faith is to drift away. It's not that you're running away from God. It's not that you're setting your course to leave God. It's that something is causing you to just slowly begin to, to put space between you, to wander. Now, can you think of any stories in the Scriptures where we have wandering? Come on, holler it out. What's the most famous one in the Old Testament? They wandered where? In the, the desert. Beautiful, right? They wandered in the desert. Now, often we talk about the story in now, all these different kind of lenses, but in the desert, we, we, we tend to see something in the desert. We see that there is one group who needs the desert. It's not God who needs the desert. It's the Israelites who need the desert. Because, see, when you have spent generations, when your parents and their parents and their parents have only known one thing, and that thing is slavery, that thing is pain and oppression and restriction. And then when you're brought instantly into freedom, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, I'll say this way. We've worked with people um, who spent time in prison for, for long amounts of time. I forget the cutoff point, but it's like someone who's been behind bars for more than I think it's like five to seven years, there's a window there. When they go past this window, if they actually get freedom, it's traumatic. Meaning, they're more at home in the jail cell they're more at home. They feel more safe. They're more comfortable. They know their environment. They know who they are inside these walls more than they know what's outside the walls. It doesn't matter how many years they spent free. These years inside these walls, these confines have defined them. And now they don't know what life is like on the outside. Um, dramatic kind of a movie... Uh, Shawshank Redemption. You guys ever seen that movie? How's it end? How's it end? He finally gets his freedom. Right. I see this a lot in very fundamentalist Christianity. We've been taught who we are inside these walls, 
and someone gives us a peek outside, you know what, there's more of God out there. It's not that we don't believe it. It's that we're terrified of what life is like if I leave the safety of this small, constricting space. So in wandering, wandering is not a place of loss. Wandering is, is not even just a place of punishment. Sometimes wandering is a place we have to go to to be prepared to go into more of what God has for us. So what you have is a, is a generation, the generation of Israel, who isn't allowed to go into the promised land, who isn't able to go into the promised land, is the ones who spent the majority of their life in Egypt. The generation who leads them into the promised land is the generation who learns and spends most of their life outside of Egypt. See, there is a period of time for us where God has so much more for us, but we aren't ready for it yet. We need to take time. We have to get comfortable first. We have to process things, work things out. We have to build up our courage, get ourselves ready for what God has outside. And wandering is a space in our lives where God prepares us for more of what He has. But it doesn't look clean. It doesn't even look like it's God sometimes. See, wandering is where we go through these steps we've talked about. See, it's in wandering when you begin to, to be honest and you begin to embrace your rawness. You begin to allow the, the cursing and the tears to come out. And it's in this place where you begin to be ready to move forward, to move on. It's in wandering. There's um, the Muslim faith has pillars to it. It's for, meaning there are tenets. To be a Muslim, there are things that you have to agree to do in your life. And one of them is to pilgrimage to Mecca, I mean, to go to the holy city. And so when you get to the holy city, you don't just go into the holy city. The first thing you do when you get to the holy city is you have to take time to walk around the city. The first time I read about this, it just blew my mind. It, it's, it means so much. It makes so much sense. There's something about getting your bearings about a place. Have you ever been into a new building and you walk inside and you don't know where you are, you just kind of get lost in it? And it doesn't matter how many times you go around in the inside, sometimes you need to go to the outside of it first to kind of get a feel for it. When people come to Grace to drop off whatever, when a plumber comes to work or whatever, when they come in the back door with us with the staff and we tell them, okay, just go down the hallway and blah, blah, blah. It only takes about 15 minutes. They wander back to us and go, I have no idea where I am. There's hallways and doors everywhere. It's confusing. You know, yeah, you're right. And so we typically have to lead them there and then wait until they start hollering out for us. And then we have to, like, lead them back to their car, right? It seems simple to us because, you know, we've been here for a while. But it can be, you know, a bit much. And so sometimes for us to get bearings, to get perspective, it takes having to, to, to have separation. How about this one? Have you ever seen a city from the sky before? Uh, seen a map of a city, okay? When you're in a big city, okay, what's the biggest city that, that, that you've ever been to? Think about it. When you were in it for the first time and you're looking up at the big buildings, did you know exactly where you were? Were you able to navigate everything? If you could, don't raise your hand, okay? I'm not talking to you. But everyone else, if you have a map or an app, right, you have the bird's eye view, correct? You you have a different perspective. And sometimes to gain perspective, we have to put space in between us 
and it. This doesn't sound like a spiritual practice, but there are times in your walk with God where you're going to have to put space between you and Him. How about this? Everyone who's married, there are times in your marriage when you need to create a little bit of space to get perspective. If you haven't done that yet, your marriage has some more growing to do, okay? I mean, again, like there, it, it's not that you don't want to be with them or around them, but there's times where you're just not going to think straight until you're in different rooms. Yes. <laughs> Send me to the couch. <laughs> right? Okay. You got it. All right. Um, one of my favorite things in the world to do is for Nisa to go out with other people. I encourage her every chance she ever gets to go with anyone who wants to take her out. I say, go. Here's one reason. She comes back grateful. She gets to hear stories about other situations and whatever, and she comes back and she goes, I love you so much. <laughs> yes, I know. But you know what happens if she spends too much time around me? You get it. The inverse happens, right? Sometimes we lose perspective. You know, you guys can pray for her because sometimes when she's right next to greatness, she just doesn't know. She just... <laughs> See, she's not here today. She's not here, so I can say whatever I want to say. A little side note, she it was her birthday. She turned 30. I married down. She's young, so I married up. You can get it. Um, she turned 30, and she woke up at 3 a.m. on her 30th birthday throwing up. Yeah, yeah. So she gets to spend her birthday at home. So beautiful. And it's also 30 what? 34 years for their anniversary, by the way. These two. Pretty impressive. Have you guys had some, some times of separation in space? Amen. And so there are times for us when we have to have this. It gives us perspective. There will be times in your walk with God where if you don't put space, meaning mental, emotional, physical, just kind of getting to a place where I can get a, a grip on where I am with God. It feels like these are the moments when God is far from us. But the Scriptures, if your faith story, when you tell your faith story to someone else, your walk with God, if it's linear, meaning it, or if it's, if it's, man, everything's just been getting great. I started with, you know, this year I got saved. And ever since then, it's just been this climb. It's been, it's been beautiful. God's been everywhere. You're either lying, you're ignorant, or you're just getting started. When someone who's married comes to me and says, man, marriage has been perfect. I, it's the best thing I could ever ask for. Lying, <laughs> ignorant, or they're brand new to it. Correct? It's not that it's not marriage. It's not that it's not love. It's not that it's not our faith. It's not that it's not a relationship with God. It's that it's just not mature yet. It's got some growing to do. It's got some scarring to have. It's got some testing to go through. It's got some lows before you really get the highs. You can't really have highs until you have lows. That's something that you won't know until you get there. There are things that you just can't experience without experiencing the opposite. It gives you perspective. You can't really see the value of money if you've never not had money. You don't know what you have in love if you've never been in a place where you didn't have love. 
Sometimes with God, you don't know what it is that you have with God until you step away and you realize what life is like with His absence. There's a, a space of wandering that is a, it's a holy, sacred practice that Christians and Jews have been doing for centuries. I want you to, to test me on this. Pick up your Bibles. Find one story of a patriarch of the faith, um, of an apostle of the faith, whose journey with God was like this. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Twelve, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, David, find me one journey with God that went like this. I promise you, every single journey with God went like this. Highs and lows, curves, meandering. Your walk with Jesus will look a lot more like a river than anything else. It's going to have bends and turns. It's going to have all sorts of different directions it's going to take. And the moment that you realize this is not a bad thing, this is a, a, a good thing, this is a sacred thing, this is what growth and maturity looks like. This is what learning to choose to trust God is really like. This is what it is to learn what it is to really trust and have faith in God. See, because we go from wondering, from questioning, from having doubt, into wandering, meaning having to work it out, having to put space in between us, having to let everything that separates us out. If you've ever been in a fight with someone, a deep fight where there, was, there were things separating you, there had to be a space where it felt like you were even farther away, meaning when you hid those things, you felt disconnected. When you actually sat down to fight it out and you put it all on the table, it felt as if you were even farther away. But if you continued the process, on the other side of that huge distance, there was reconnection. And the intimacy and the closeness and the trust you felt on the other side of that, that terrible separation of, of the arguing and the pain and the dispute and the fight, on the other side of that was a love and a strength and a trust that was deeper and stronger that was more mature than the one before it. See, most of us have been convinced that what God wants us to do is to take our grievances, take our hurts, our fears, our doubts, and just keep them hidden. Try that in your marriage. See how it works out for you. Try that in your faith. See how that works out for you. But try putting it on the table. Try processing. Try having that moment where it feels like you are completely separated. There's no chance we're going to work through this. Put it on the table. Work through it. Process it. And then see what happens on the other side. Because what comes after wandering, what comes after the tears and the, and the cursing and the anger and the frustration, what comes on the other side of wandering is wonder again. See, what's interesting about the word wonder, it has multiple definitions. Here's the other definition for wonder. To feel admiration, amazement, marvel. See, there's something about this. When you've gone through a journey with someone or something, when you've, oh my goodness, is, is there anything you've ever had to work for to get to? Is there a promotion or a job title or a hobby or a goal or a relationship that you didn't just get handed to? You had to work for it. You had to, to work your way. It took 
time. It took sacrifice. When you got there, it had a completely different impact on you than it had on the other person, on anyone else who had it just handed to them. See, right now, pilgrimage is, is, is a practice of Christians that it's coming back with, with great power. And see, like, to, to pilgrimage is not to take a flight to go from here to Jerusalem. That's not pilgrimage. To pilgrimage is to fly to a location miles and miles away and to get a backpack on and to walk, to journey days, weeks, months. To, to skip the journey is to skip the experience. You will not encounter God the same way if you try to bypass the hard stuff. See, your marriage will not be what it could be if you're always trying to bypass the hard things. Your faith in God will not be mature and whole and healthy if you're always bypassing the difficult parts of your journey with God. These are not the bad parts. This is the good stuff. But it won't feel like the good stuff until you're on the other side of it. Because see, when you allow yourself to wonder, to doubt, to question, and you allow yourself to wander, to have separation, on the other side of that journey is amazement, is marvel. Meaning to look at something and to see so much value and beauty, your mind can't even comprehend it. You don't even understand how this thing, it's the same person that I was married to before this, but on the other side, I see this person completely differently than I did prior to that. This is what the journey does for you. This is what it allows you to grow into when you embrace honesty in your faith, honesty in your trust, honesty in your love. This is the only way for you to reach a mature faith. Anyone who tells you that blind faith is mature faith, I disagree with that. It's one thing to have a young couple in my office who says, hey, we, you know, I love this person. I will be faithful my entire life. This is, you know, the one for me, blah, blah, blah. I've heard it a million times. That is one kind of a faith. That's one kind of a, of a love. That's one kind of a choice. It's another thing for a family who's been through a miscarriage. It's, it's another thing for a family who's been through cheating. There's another thing for a family who's been through bankruptcy. There's another thing who's been through a child who's who lost their life. These are different things. And to be in that space and to say, I choose to trust this person again. I choose to love them again. I choose to believe that we can make this work again. This is called open-eyed faith. This is an open-eyed love. This is an aware, mature. This isn't being naive or ignorant. This isn't having some beautiful picture of what faith in God is. And I trust God, and now I'm I'm highly favored and blessed and everything will be perfect from here. No, this is honesty. This is saying, I've already experienced that this road isn't perfect. I've already experienced that it's not what I thought it was going to be. But what it is now, I want this. I choose this. Because see, to, to be married is not to make a one-time commitment. Anyone who's, who actually has a real marriage in this room, you know, it is making a choice every single day. That choice isn't made on the stage. That is a pledge. It's a pledge saying, I'm going to choose you. The real choice, the real love, the real marriage, the real commitment, the real faith, that comes in every single day when it's tested, when things aren't perfect and things don't work out the way you want them to. That's the real thing. 
And so this series on Psalms for us is about learning how to get to the place where we can be honest, we can be real, we can be fully present, we can be open-eyed, fully aware, and say, I still trust you. Even though we've been through this, even though I thought it was going to be like this, I still choose you. I still choose to trust you. I still choose to love you. This is the different kind of praise we see in the Psalms. It's one that says, I thought things were going to be perfect. I realized that they weren't, and they're awful, and I even blame you for it. But now, guess what? I still choose to praise you. I still choose to trust you. I still choose from this moment forward to move forward with you, not without you, because I've experienced what it's like to be without you.